Hello, welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm Dave Cohen. And I'm James Carey. James and I have read all 65 uh, scripts, haven't we? Yes, we have. We have been running a sitcom challenge. uh, You entered in November. Uh, That was the deadline. And we have been reading over Christmas and New Year and everything. And uh, we have some notes and observations. What we've done is we've... uh, read the first 10 pages of every single script and some will be going through to the next the next round where we'll read the whole script but we've got some observations about that coming up after yeah. we've talked about yes. the Writers Guild. The Writers Guild Awards happened. Uh, every year they have this uh, outstanding contribution to, to writing award, which invariably goes to somebody incredibly well-known or famous. People like Tom Stoppard have won it, uh, Terry Pratchett, Michael Frayn, Carol Churchill, um, and and then also sort of TV writer uh, Russell T. Davis uh, won it, has won it. So um, imagine our surprise when the winner this year year was uh john finnamore and uh, full, of, of, full of vim and youth yes yes john finnamore a lot of you may well be saying who probably not our regular sitcom geeks uh listeners because you all know who john finnamore is he, he writes mainly uh radio comedy and so um this is the first time that the award has been given uh, to a comedy writer, so an out-and-out comedy writer for radio uh, and or TV, and it's the first time a radio writer ha- has won the award. So um, lots of things that James and I have talked about a lot, um, including we have interviewed John. Uh, that's yes. uh, one of my favourite uh, couple of episodes, episode 76 and 77. We did a live interview with John, which was uh, fab, and you'll understand, if you listen to that, um, why he's such a brilliant writer. Uh, and and, uh, and very very liked by other writers, even yeah. though we are all intensely jealous of the <laughs> astonishing talent that has been poured into his body. Yeah, and and also presumably many of you will have listened to many of his shows. Cabin Pressure, of course, his sitcom that uh, everybody loves, had, uh, the uh, with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as uh, one of the performers in that. And then there's uh, the uh, sketch series he's written about. Souvenir s- programs. Souvenir programs. Eight series. Eight, eight series, yeah. yeah. And then double him. acts. Hmm. Yeah. Two but series, at least two series of double acts. Two series of double acts. Double acts and Cabin Pressure are both. He's the only writer, as far as I know, to have won Writers Guild Award for Best Radio Show for two different uh, completely different radio shows. Mm. Uh, Sarah Kendall's won it twice for the for yeah. kind of the same show. So the message for all of us, for all of you out there, yeah. is uh, you know there's hope for comedy writers. You can become, uh, you can win the Writers Guild Outstanding Contribution. Mm. And radio writing is alive and well. Everyone yeah. thought it would be uh, killed off by the internet, but uh, there was um, the. The Best Radio Comedy Award went to Prepper by yeah. Caroline Moran and James Moran. Um, and there would have been, you know, 30, 40 entrants, I guess. I don't, yeah. I, I, don't I can't remember what else was nominated, but... Um, yeah, um, uh, no, I can't remember. Oh, uh, Madame Mare by uh, Brenda Gilhooley, oh, yeah. that was one of them. Um, you can hear on a forthcoming episode yes. uh, where we speak to her and John O'Farrell at the Chortle Book Festival... Um, and, side note, if you join us on Patreon, you'll be able to listen to that interview straight away, very mm, quickly. Very soon. Very soon. And uh, the, so the winner of the uh, best online script, the second year running, uh, was for um, a script, a short sketch by uh, Hannah George and uh, Tasha Danraj. And um, that's, in fact, that's the third year running that uh, the Isle of Wight has won the... Because uh, the previous winner was... Uh, 
Marek Larwood. Okay. And um, were they all Isle of Wight based? They're all born. Well, Hannah and Marek both born in the Isle of Wight. Oh wow! So, um, Isle yeah. of Wight owning that award—that's yeah. quite something, isn't it? Yeah, I know. So. And best TV sitcom went to Brassic by Danny Brocklehurst, and I have not seen Brassic. I'm afraid I haven't seen that either, which is uh, very poor. But also, there is there are a lot of comedies on, and um, the fact is although we bemoan the lack of mainstream studio sitcom, mm. as Dave often points out, across the board, there are a lot of sitcoms on television or yeah. half-hour comedies being reimagined uh, for for the next generation, as it were. Yeah. Um, so uh, there is hope, which is why, I guess, over 60 of you have written uh, sitcom scripts and sent them to us, and we have read them, and we have noticed some sort of common themes among them, um, which we thought we would explore in this episode. And uh, and then in the next episode, I think we will, having having read all of the finalists, as it were, we mm. can then talk about, you know, three-act structures or whatever people seem to be, what are the themes that are yeah. going and what lessons can be learned. Because there's a great incentive for people to really learn these lessons because the writer's room window is opening soon, isn't it, Dave? Very soon, yes. Uh, it's... I, I don't know the exact dates, but it's going to be sometime in March, and that's it's usually open for about four or five weeks. So mm. you're looking at a, a deadline of about three months from now. About Easter. Yeah. Yeah, and that should be enough time, we hope, uh, for you to go back, look at your scripts, and if you've got uh, anyone else who's listening, if you've got a script, an idea for a script, three months should be enough time for you to... Uh, to get it uh, working and mm. thinking about it and 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 sending it off to the writer's room. Um, so there are quite a few. I think we should start very much with the, the, the our kind of um, overall uh, takeaway mm. from uh, this, uh, which was that I mean, uh, the, the 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 first point, which which it seems like a minor point, but I think it is something that. Uh, I feel, and I think James also feels, mm. we, we, we haven't, maybe we just haven't pushed this hard enough, uh, but, but there are some, some very simple, very basic uh, mistakes that people are making that don't need to be made uh, in terms of how your script is formatted and, and names of characters and uh, some of the, the, the information um, that, that is needed um, for someone when they are reading your script. Mm. And um, there are quite a few scripts where uh, things like sort of names of people were wrong or confusing or changed or scenes, uh, one scene would sort of blur into another scene. Um, and therefore, yeah. I mean, in terms of concrete practical advice, um, it would be worth sending your script or giving your script to someone who doesn't mm. work in the industry, um, tell them to read it, and then summarise to you what happens. Mm. And if they can't do it, it might be that your script really is not clear enough. Yeah. Um, we, got, we need to be really, um, you know, bear in mind that the script readers are reading dozens and dozens of scripts and they, A, they want to find a funny script. They want your script to be good. I cannot stress that enough. Mm. And I don't think listeners truly believe it. Yeah. Um, it's no, yeah, yeah, it's it's no fun. It's a conspiracy to yeah. keep you out. Absolutely not. And I read mm. every single script hoping that this next script was going to be a potential winner or finalist or that we've discovered some brilliant new talent 
that mm. you know that also we can claim some credit for, which is obviously completely misplaced. But <laughs> but you know what I mean. Mm. There is a spirit of optimism among the readers, yeah. rather than a who who can I keep out mm. um, uh, of of the industry. So you know, do bear that in mind, and therefore you need to make your make their lives as easy as possible by laying out your scripts in a very clear, easy to read format, um, and making it so that we know who the hero is hmm. and we know what they're trying to achieve yeah. and we know what what's happening in the background or we know, you know, you don't want to overdo it, but just clarity, whether it's hmm. funny or not, is a separate issue. We can get onto that. But just the basic craft of laying it out and giving the, the reader enough information to understand the, 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 the scene and no more, mm. really. Yeah. Um, that's hard. That takes practice. Yeah, um, but it is it is very basic, and it is something that you need to uh, you, you need to sort of keep your eye on. And we 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 talk a lot about all the things that you have to uh, be the, all the all the plates that you're spinning while you're trying to write sitcom. And yes, it's uh, this character needs to be doing this, and this story needs to be moving on, and this character that that a regular character needs needs a scene now just because they haven't been in for a while. So you've got all these uh, things going on, and then. Uh, but if if you've decided to change the name of a character, uh, or or you haven't, you know, you've got sort of five characters in one scene, and three of them we've never met before. Um, you know that that's for somebody who's uh, and they, they get something like three thousand scripts at writers' room. So somebody whose uh, job that day is to read a hundred scripts, um, they're going to just. Um, they'll just yeah, they, say, won't, they won't read a hundred they won't yeah. be trying to read a hundred in a day but they probably will read a dozen or 15 yeah. or 20 yeah well it's it's 10 pages yeah you know they, they, they'll they'll read the first they'll read the first 10 pages and you know if they can read through them quickly that's great and then that, that they'll those ones will probably automatically go into the maybe pile yeah but if they're sort of stopping and then all oh, right hang on who's this character uh have we seen this character before what's this story have we had this story and and that's you're you're just making life harder for yourself, really. Yeah. Um, and so so that's that's the kind of very simple, uh, basic. My mm. my first major point. And for one of my criteria was basically, does this go through to the next round? As it were, it was mm. when I hit page ten. Do I want to keep reading? Yeah. And if I do, that's a fairly good sign that that's going to go through. And mm. if I'm already confused, and you know or feel that this is not really working or whatever, then the next 20 pages are not going to fix that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so that, that is really, really key. Uh, any other headlines, Dave? Yeah, well, I suppose for me, the main headline, and this sort of came over the sort of reading about, you know, by about sort of 40, 30 or 40 in, and I was thinking that... Uh, that uh, that the area that we we do we do talk a lot about it, but it's hard to be very specific, but um, because it's not something that you can just teach. But uh, it, it is uh, the thing that we stress a lot. Why am I writing this? Why am I doing it now? And just uh, something that really we need to push more on. I think we need to think a lot more about is why what is different about my script where am i taking this uh script that it hasn't that that nowhere else no one else has been to before and this is and this this is something that's true of it's it's true of a joke 
It's true of a sitcom. It's true of a sketch. Mm. It's true of a character, actually. Yeah. I mean, if have you, we seen this character yeah. before? Why why are we seeing yeah. this character again in 2020? Yeah, and it's like uh, if you follow Twitter to read jokes, uh, and something happens, and you'll see the same joke come up 30 times. If you're if if that's one of the reasons that you follow Twitter, it's one of the reasons I do, and certainly. I'm uh, if uh, I I would be very upset if I think of a joke, uh, and I uh, and actually if I think of a joke and I want to put it on Twitter, I will do a double check and make sure no one no one has already done the joke. Right. There's no point in putting it up if somebody else has already done that. Um, not that I post jokes that often, though. But I sometimes have the urge to do that. <laughs> um, and it, it it's um, you you really can't just. Put, unless you know, unless you're Paul Merton, uh, yeah, you can't put the first thing that comes into your head onto the page. Yes, because unless you're Paul Merton or oh, Peter Cook, yeah, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, that, that's it's a very small list of people whose first idea is way funnier than everybody else's yeah. second or third idea. Yeah, and if it is, then you are. Uh, you know, one of the the biggest earning comics yeah. on the on the TV show, or uh, David Mitchell probably. Yeah. Is, is, In which is case, would you one. like to be a guest on this show? Yeah. We would like to talk to you. Yeah, but the, the rest of us mere mortals. And in fact, if you watch, uh, if if you um, were to go to a, a, a recording of Have I Got News for You, you would be aware that you sit there for for almost two hours. Uh, so even Paul Merton, uh, who might say sort of seven or eight very funny things in an episode of uh of have i got news for you has also said 25 not very funny things so um so you know be be aware of that you have to go beyond okay here's the funny thing and lots and lots of scripts were and the the you know that we we had a lot of scripts set in similar places. We had a lot of scripts set on spaceships, skip, uh, scripts about influencers, the minefield of dating, uh, workplace sitcoms. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that's what all uh, sitcoms are. Uh, you know, they are about... Um, that they're about things that people have have done and uh, and have seen before. So a sitcom, uh, if you're doing a workplace uh, sitcom... Um, then you know what uh, let's think about the office and uh, right so what are we uh, what what has happened since the office what what has moved on since the office what is a workplace sitcom now what the whole idea of what work is has has changed it's a massive uh, challenge and in fact uh, last year a writer and I were writing we 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 tried to we we worked on a a sitcom set in an Amazon warehouse um, attempting to kind of create a new version of what what is a workplace and we had a we had a character who was part part human part ai um and so you know you you, you looking and still it didn't work you know (laughs) there's just something about trying to do uh, a sitcom in the end we tried to kind of ended up trying to make it like dinner ladies so it was more about it was more about what they were doing in the breaks and and because you know it was very hard to sort of really do stories that's set in a warehouse once you've gone through running to get as many things and put them in baskets as possible so you have to think a lot more and i just think we're not thinking enough about yeah okay well this is a sitcom about the end of the world yeah okay there's a lot of them out there now and again i don't want to uh pull rank on this again but it was uh, about 
10, 12 years ago, I think, I wrote a, uh, an end-of-the-world type sitcom, and mm. again, it didn't didn't yeah. get anywhere. It wasn't the right thing at the right time. Um, but, you know, and then The Road came out, the book, Connor, uh, I've forgotten the writer. McCarthy or McCormack. Yeah. McCormack, yeah. And that's, a, you know, that's kind of about as grim as it gets. But uh, And then it was made into a, a movie, which is even grimmer. But even before that, you know, in like 1980s, Mad Max was the original, mm. you know, post-apocalypse mm. world. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are trying to come up with the same idea as you, or have come up with the same idea as you. Um, but they've gone beyond just saying, okay, well, it's a sitcom about the end of the world. And there were, of those end-of-the-world sitcoms, you know, two or three of them had made, a, you know, had gone beyond just the, oh, it's the end of the world. But you really have to think more about what am I bringing to this idea that has never been seen before? Mm. And that, that, for me, that was probably the, the number one thing that, for me, that reading all these um, uh, scripts back to back yeah uh, that that was the thing i picked up it's like all oh, right here's a this is another dating uh yeah. sitcom fine that's good you know it's it, it's relevant to people but what is what is happening in this dating sitcom yeah. that i haven't seen before what is it about these characters uh why you know and and again as we say again and again what is a sitcom about it's what what do i want yeah. versus what do i get well, we know this character isn't going to get a successful date because it's a sitcom. Yeah. So what is it about the character now? You really have to spend a lot of time in your head. Yeah. I think for me, uh, two, two sort of additions to that, really. One is I completely agree. There were quite a lot of sitcoms, loads and loads of scripts, which did feel like they were set in a perfectly understandable place, but there was mm. no compelling reason as to why... Uh, we were why this show should be on television Uh, which I know is not necessarily why people are writing the scripts and so there is an element of these are spec scripts that are being written to show what you can do but if you want to show what you can do you do have to show you have insights and you do have the ability to write contemporarily Mm. rather than just show technical ability Um, and you have to show a lot of technical ability in order to um to overcome the fact that your show is not really of the moment. So there are, there are one or two fairly genre sitcom scripts, and one of, one of which is particularly good. Mm. The downside of it is that there's no real reason why it couldn't have been on 20 years ago or couldn't be on again in 20 years' time. Um, <clears throat> and that's, a, that, that's not a good thing, mm. um, I think, generally. So, um, But the other thing for me in particular was that there was an awful lot of shows which were set in places that had basically had it uh, that so rather than being in a, in, in a setting, which is an unusual situation as in people adjusting to a new normal. So for example, in a, in a, in a, I had a meeting the other day with a, with a producer who basically, despite the fact that he's quite important, doesn't really get his own office anymore and they're all hot desking mm. and overall it's a little bit too cramped. And all, you know, I was, it was in BBC studios. And so the front so there, it used to be a terrible use of space at the BBC, that main, en- that main entrance. And they've now packed it with mezzanine floors and cafes and everything. And it's mm. actually really quite 
population dense. Mm. Um, and they've made really good use of the space, actually. It feels quite vibrant, actually. And so in one sense, I think it's, they've done a great job. But if you're used to long corridors and having your own office and suddenly you're thrown into this sort of hot desking uh, environment where you basically can't concentrate on anything, mm. um, that would be interesting to see. But every single office I saw looked like it was an office from about 1986. Yeah. Um, but on top of that, everyone was really sad and down mm. and depressed. Mm. And lots of the scripts didn't really make me happy yeah. or, or excited. Mm. And I think, go back to episode 124, where we talked to David Tyler, and he sort of dared to make the suggestion that maybe your situation should be funny. Um, and so it's just worth thinking about what is it about your situation that makes people happy and excited? And I think the success of The Office in particular has made people think, oh, a show that's somewhere down, downbeat and depressing can be successful means that I can do my show in a place that's basically, it's an old bike shop, it's an old betting shop, it's an old this or it's an old that. And actually you're asking quite a lot of the audience mm. um, to go with you on this. Yeah. Um, and it feels more like reading a play by Pinter. Yeah. And that's not really a sitcom. Mm. Um, and I know there is a new, people are reinventing the genre and that kind of thing. And if you're Craig Cash or Carolina Hearn or, or Ricky Gervais or whatever, you, you can do that. Um, but I think unless you've got, and actually you can also possibly do the, this is the end of an era on this kind of world. Hmm. You Again, you can do that if you have really good insight into why that world is finished. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so there probably is a hospital comedy drama or sitcom which sort of says the way we currently do things is actually untenable. Hmm. And it might be a bit dark and satirical, but that would be fine. Yeah. But you would need insights into that because you would need to have been a surgeon or a ward sister or mm. something. A bit like getting on, for example. I was just going to say, getting on is an example of that. Yeah. And that's, that's written with a, with a, uh, a clear insider knowledge of, yeah. of what has happened to the NHS in the last yeah. uh, 15 years. So that's, that's, yeah. a, good, um, that, 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 that's a good example, I yeah. think, because that's, you know, how many bloody shows do we have to watch that are set in hospitals yeah okay there are lots and lots of them but mm. actually getting on is is different yeah and, it, and you can feel the difference yeah that. i mean full disclosure if i'd been sent that script uh i wouldn't have liked it mm. and i didn't particularly love the show either because it is quite downbeat yeah um but you would be able to see the insight and the oh wow this is really got some mm. uh some clout behind it and some good writing it's yeah. not a laugh a minute and i would rather it would be mm. you know i would rather read scrubs yeah you know and that's fine that's a personal preference but the quality of the writing and the situation and the insight and the why this why now why you mm. question would have been fully answered yeah um so you know there is an element of taste in it which obviously we have to put up our hands and and say we you know we all have things that we like and don't mm. like but you really can tell yeah. Um, so that was one of my one of my things that I was a bit disappointed by was the fact that lots of shows were in uh, places which felt like they were very much in the past. Yeah. And everyone who went to them just thought, well, this is crap. This job is crap. This industry mm. is done for. 
or not even this industry is done for. It's just there was no appetite amongst any of the characters, usually bar the keen person mm. who actually wants to be there. And I think you're asking a lot of your audience to make that a happy place for them. Yeah. Um, so that would be... Um, and, that, and that comes back to, and again, this is the, the, the root one thing, and I, and I understand this because, I, you know, when I was starting out as a, as a writer, this is exactly what I did. Um, I, I would think, right, I, I knew instinctively without having learned it already in books, just, just from, from the sitcoms and the telly that I watched, is that co- comedy, British comedy, tends to be about these sort of loser people who that they want something and they can't have it. And uh, I, I, as a stand-up anyway, I was kind of getting most of my humour from my own life and my own experiences. And so my next step then as a, as a writer was, uh, okay, so... I am the best raw. I am my best raw material. I know me better than anyone else. So, what do I want? Uh, at that time, it may well have been a girlfriend, um, or you know, success in my work. Uh, what do I get? I don't get a girlfriend. I don't get success in my work. And uh, and then again, the next step from that is okay. So uh, I, I had many many opening scenes, and I saw saw many of them here as well, where you know he uh, our character scene one uh, loses his job, and then uh, he goes home and finds that his girlfriend has left him, and. Only years later, I found out, oh, this is, you know, this is the sort of people saying, oh, yeah, we get so many scripts where the person has lost their job and then, oh, their partner's gone. And it is, it, it, it is again, it is the route one start and you have to think, okay, let's get beyond that. This is a sitcom. This isn't, this isn't real life. This is fiction. This is made up. Uh, but at the heart of it, I understand the, the the rhythm of comedy that requires a loser person who wants something that they can't have. Now, that doesn't mean that they're downbeat people necessarily. Uh, it can mean they are the most optimistic person in the world. Mm. You know, I want exactly what... And, and, yeah. and you know, they never get what they want, but yeah. they, that, that's the funny thing is they think, oh, yeah, oh, well, it didn't work that time because of this. You know? And we, we misremember shows that are successful by because of comedy classic scenes. So we, we forget the fact that Basil Fawlty is mm. often quite happy. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. He doesn't start every episode filled with rage and disappointment. He starts every episode filled with, I am trying to run a classy hotel. Yeah. And then every time something disappoints him and lets him down and he discovers he's got the wrong guests. Um, and, you know, the, the, mm. he, he begins every episode with a spirit of optimism. Mm. And I think that's the other thing that I found interesting about lots of the scripts is there was a baked in cynicism from the start that for me would suggest that this show or this situation has no long-term future. Mm. And therefore I think you're making it quite hard to make that an appealing location where we could potentially get even 12 episodes of a sitcom, let alone 90. Yeah. Um, and I think that is a modern development. So there is definitely uh, an, a, 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 this kind of postmodern thing of like we, you know, we we've uh, stripped away the the, the uh, facade and you know uh, uh, to 
Gary Shandling's show was one of the early versions of this. You know, this is a sitcom starring uh, Gary. Uh, is, um, this is the theme to Gary, Gary show, Shandling. the opening yeah. theme to Gary exactly, show. Exactly, yeah. And then he's going to meet, yeah. we're going to meet yeah. these people. Yeah. And he comes on and he talks to the audience yeah. and then snap, he's into a scene. Yeah. And it's like, oh, hang on. And, you know, and this follows through. Like Sean Hughes did that as well. And then, and of course, Mrs. Brown's boys, you know, yeah. it's, it's a bloke in a dress shark, yeah. you know. And, and so there is that sort of, that that deconstruction comedy, which you know has its place, I think. Mm. Uh, but as you say, I think it's it it, it has infected yeah. the world of, of fiction, and you know that fi- this is why. Here, here you go. Here's a little sidebar. Um, I think because as a society, especially amongst opinion formers and writers and stuff, we have abandoned uh, a fairly consistent Judeo-Christian framework of. Of, be- of, I think basically yeah. nihilism, which mm-hmm. is prevailing, existentialist despair. You're really, you're really pushing a boulder uphill if you're going to write a sitcom that is essentially nihilistic. Yeah. Because if if one action doesn't lead to another action, um, if there's no real justice in the world, mm. if bad stuff just happens and that's it, um, the the sitcom traditionally has been formulated on the view that there is justice. And that the liar will be exposed, and the and the cheat will be uh, brought to justice, and yeah. the proud will be humbled. If you think that that doesn't exist in the world, um, and that that is a lie, uh, I think that's quite challenging to see what the next generation of sitcoms will look like in a world that will bring happiness and joy. Well, I would even... That's my theory, anyway. I would even go halfway between the Judeo and the Christian, and... Mm. and uh, and talk about the Greek because uh, Aristotle is is the, the the person who basically invented mm. the story. Obviously, yeah. he didn't, but he just wrote down what we know as sort of instinctively as humans, as that we like stories mm. that have a beginning and a middle and an end, and a character goes on a journey. And if it's a drama, uh, they, they they go and they they look for something and they grow. Um, at, uh, and and they become better people or different people at the end of the drama. Yeah. Uh, and if it's a tragedy, uh, they they don't grow. There's a, they, it, it goes. Um, they get as far as the end, and nothing's changed. Mm. And if it's a comedy, uh, it's a, a, the famous phrase is a tragedy plus time and perspective to look on it and yeah. actually say, huh, actually that story of comedy, mm. that story of tragedy is is actually really funny. And I think there, uh, I, I sort of disagree with you. I don't want to get into the the, no, the, no, the no, sure. nitty gritty of the the, the nihilism. But there, there is a sort of nihilism in built to comedy that you know you do always fail in comedy. Uh, you never do get what you want. But the journey, the journey, whatever it is whether it's drama or comedy or tragedy, whatever, it is the journey that is the interesting yeah. part of it. And, and I think there's just it's a very basic thing and, and, and again you know James and I we were talking about this uh, just before the podcast and we've been doing these uh, now for nearly five years and uh, is it really yeah 2015 I think we started okay. and uh, you know maybe the, 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 the these areas are you know and we talk about plots and characters and we talk to successful people and, about it and, and you know and I, and and I, I feel I've learned a lot from it, but Me too, yeah. I, I just wonder if uh, you know we have we're not we haven't maybe put enough 
I, I suppose because it is so hard to pin down. It's mm. like you 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 know you need to kind of create these characters, and it's not something that you can sit down at a desk and write down. Okay, so what is it about this character? I mean, you, you might try and do that. You can mm. probably do some exercises with a character. You know, take your character and stick them in a pub or mm. take them to the football match or whatever or got them in Alice's Wonderland or whatever yeah, it is yeah. and see what happens to them um, but a lot of it and I find when I'm thinking of characters you know a lot of it is just me walking around and, and these characters in my head and I'm trying to I'm trying to sort of see where they're going in a way that hasn't happened before and it's a, it's a slightly nebulous thing to be able to pin down and in, in mm. the end it's like you know when you and I think this is a really crucial thing which I just thought of this morning mm. it's like when you say uh, you know when we say Basil Fawlty he's a snob mm. you, you've got the essence of Basil Fawlty yeah. there the idea that oh right okay so here's a character he's a snob the idea that John Cleese may have just sort of come up with that in a moment you know that's yeah. like years and hours of work and I think one of the main Things and this is the, the main sort of contradictions of like the best yeah. writers and the best actors is they don't it doesn't look like writing it doesn't yeah. look like acting it just looks like normal people being normal but the amount of work that has gone in yeah. to make that seem normal the amount of work that an actor puts in to to seem like it's it's real you know but the key the the, the key word is actor you yeah know, they are not that person kelsey grammar is not frazier he yeah. is an actor right reading the words but we totally totally buy into him because mm -hmm. he's a brilliant brilliant actor and also the scripts are absolutely brilliant and they're just they didn't just come out of nowhere mm. you know you yeah. really really have to work at your script to make it look like you haven't worked at it yeah yeah and that's the contradiction that's why so many people want to be writers they think oh well oh that looks quite easy yeah you know there is a deceptiveness about it and i think yeah. that's another it reminds me of another slightly uh common theme which is to be expected is that is is overwriting so mm. lots and lots of talking and actually lots of lines which you just don't need, which I know you might get in regular life, but the moment you put them on the page, they just mm. seem unnecessary. Yeah. You know, you know, a quite a surprisingly large number of lines of like, oh, hello, Bill, how are you? I mean, that's not really, you might say that in real life, mm. but that's not really telling you anything about the person speaking. And he'll say, oh, fine, you know, blah, blah, blah. and you think, well, that's, that's two lines that haven't got you anywhere, they can go. And I think it's that being brutal with the dialogue so that we're just being given the information so that every scene just moves along. And, you know, out of the first 10 pages, loads and loads of opening scenes were six or seven pages. Yeah. Um, and you think you could have done all of that in, in a page and a half. There was so little dialogue there that we actually yeah. had to have um, because the story, unfortunately as is often the case, and we begged you, um, didn't start till page nine. Uh, yeah. That story really could have started on page two uh, or page three. Yeah. Um, and there was an awful lot of um, uh, sort of static first day at work scenes. Uh, there must have been out of the 60, it feels like, off my, it just feels like I've read at least 20, 25 scripts mm. where somebody arrives for their first day at work. Yeah. And everyone is introduced to them. Yeah. And in a way, you can... 
I mean, I, I think we have said that's a possible way of setting up your episode or doing a pilot episode, mm. but you just don't get to do that for nine pages. You know, you really do need to, uh, why it could be their second day at work. Mm. Um, and they sort of can't quite remember everybody's name and you might be able to find a way to cheat that or something, but it, it feels like, um, it just feels like every sitcom script in like that, it feels like all of the actors, it feels like all of the characters have literally been sitting there in silence statically until the lights go up and then they start acting and being. And what you really need for the sitcom to establish it very quickly is you want to feel like life has been going on for, for weeks, months and years in yeah. this current situation and that we're walking in on a dynamic situation. Um so, you know, in Bluestones 4-2, I can't quite remember how we start. Yes, I do. They're, they're in a Chinook on their way to mm. defuse an IED. Doesn't somebody get killed? And then they early? do, yeah. yeah. They are very imp- and then Mike yeah. McShane's character gets shot in the head. Uh, they're ambushed. Yeah. And that's kind of giving you a sense of this is the world that we're in. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you just sort of, you, you want to find a way of showing a regular day at work, maybe, but an atypical day at work. But if your workplace mm. is somewhere where nothing ever happens, then you're making your life very difficult for yourself. Mm. Um, so therefore you want to be very careful where you're setting your characters and where you're setting your action, I guess. Or you might just, uh, you, you, you want to say, okay, this is a workplace where nothing happens or the person that's there is uh, dissatisfied. Um, and th- in that case, well, how do you, you know, let, let's look at uh, ways that people who are dissatisfied at work let, let's look at what's already out there look at the uh, like Tim in the office you know he hates being at that work it's a boring job and he has found these ways you know he winding up Gareth is his way and mm-hmm. chatting up Dawn is the other uh, you know he finds the he, he the, the, these are his ways of escape and 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 you know he he's he is so obviously superior to to david brent and you know he he that's what he gets out of that being in that really boring job is just annoying david brent mm. and getting away with it and i think about porridge which isn't so much a workplace but obviously it's a place where everybody well it's a workplace for the for the uh the, the prison officers and so you know what that that's all about how do the people who are there and they don't want to be there obviously they're in prison how do how do they make that life uh bearable for themselves and it's it's all about the the little victories that mm. they manage to get you know and, and 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 it's it's such small things you know it's like like sort of that like one cigarette is a, is a is a whole story in, a, mm. in an episode of porridge and 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 that's the thing because you know there's not what else is there in their life you know some tiny things take on huge significance and you know and, and you get it a lot in in brooklyn 99 even you know six or seven series in and you've got eight or nine characters and you still you've got uh, a whole subplots about something that's in the fridge yeah you know, or somebody's dietary habits or whatever so you know th- these are the things that you're looking for in your workplace sitcom where where is the comedy where is the funny and that's you start on day one and and again it's an obvious it's the route one thing and you you you're not quite trusting your audience um to know who these people are 
and you you know you are you're getting to know these characters well you, you kind of need to get to know them better before you start writing them i think that's 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 another sort of general thought about it um you think well i'm you know somebody's going to be reading this they want to know who these characters are so i'm going to so first day at work well that's a really easy good mm. way to to introduce them but actually as as james says you can go for much further you know and and if you think about when you're at work you know and then you're in a, you're doing a job and you don't like it you you become a character at work you are the you are dave at work or james at work you know mm. you're not you 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 kind of you're, you're putting on a mask if you hate it there because mm. you're not going to sit at your work going oh i hate my work or something you're going to go in and say hi morning everyone yeah. and you're going to be the you know you might be the kind of hey i'm really cheery because yeah. my life's so miserable and yeah. if i drop this for one for, for one yeah, second yeah. and you know that all, does protest too much yeah. methinks yeah isn't yeah. it it's point to put it right i can do yeah. this i can get through it yeah. yeah, I need this job and or whatever it is. Well, yeah. or even better though, mm. I need this job because I have a greater goal, which mm. is I I want to uh, do the Tour de France and therefore mm. I need income in order to do this other thing. Yeah. But the idea that somebody sticks at a job that they hate without any greater purpose, mm. again, I just think, you know, you're really asking the audience a lot because actually you might say on one level, well, people... People do go to jobs they don't like mm. and they just live with it. Well, they do live with it, but they live with it because they have a great, they, they don't define themselves by their work. They define mm. themselves, everyone defines themselves by something. So if you, you know, loads of people go to jobs that aren't particularly well paid or rewarding because the hours are convenient mm. and the hours are convenient is because they have to pick up their kids from school at a particular time. And what that shows you is they care more about their kids well, let's yeah. see evidence of that in the workplace that actually their whole life is based around their kids, which is an entirely reasonable, yeah. normal human thing. Or they're based around the fact that, you know, they, they collect um, model railway trains right. um, and yeah. they need to be able to finish at this particular time because that's their greater love and their greater passion. That's yeah. fine. But if your character is purely defined by how much they don't like the thing they're doing now, mm. wow, that's, yeah. that's, that's not a long-term... That's, I'm not backing that horse. Yeah, and I think so, because as we're talking about character now, I mean, and again, these are things, they sound so simple And when you say them. You know, you have your main character who wants something. They can't have it, uh, or they won't get it because it's comedy. Um, and there need to be lots of funny ways in which they don't get it. And then the, the, the funny ways that they don't get it is the way that they try and pursue it. And the more they try and pursue it, mm. the, 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 the less it's going to happen. They are, and they are the architects of their demise. I mean, I'm sure I have said this loads and loads of times, you know, proactive, your character, your main character has to be proactive. And these things, they do sound simple, uh, and they are, but it actually, it, as I say, making it look simple, that, that is, is the hard thing. But get your first character right mm. and then worry about the other character. Because a lot, and again, this is something uh, I, I, I had a problem with this when I was writing, you know, me, me in something and me in something else was that, you know, I gave all the funny stuff to uh, the other character, the other character's mm. funniness. Um, 
and, and, and actually, you know, if you look at uh, Seinfeld, which is, a, which I, I love the conceit of it, you know, Seinfeld is about a, a, a stand-up comedian called Jerry Seinfeld, played by stand-up comedian Jerry Seinfeld. Um, and he's he is the straight man yeah. in that show. And the the other, the, the, the mad crazy people are all yeah. actors yeah. playing mad wacky people. And, um, you know, they, they, they sort of get away with that because... Well, they start know, out with yeah. him doing some stand-up yeah he's, and it's funny and they establish that oh yeah he's a funny guy okay we've established that yeah but now hello uh this is my flat now i'm I, I, i'm sort of paraphrasing in a un- deliberately unfunny way but it's a hi i'm jerry seinfeld this is my flat and here are three people who are going to come into my flat and they're going to act out some really wacky yes. stories here's my friend from college here's my ex-girlfriend here's yeah. my wacky neighbor yeah that's it yeah isn't it and here yeah. are my obsessive parents who now live in florida yeah. Here's Uncle Leo. Here's mm. all these, you know. Here's Newman. That's my sworn enemy. Yeah. Um, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But actually, it's a very straight. And I, and I think one other observation, and we should probably wrap this up and do another one of these. Um, right. Um, is there are a lot of scripts where the show was clearly about the person starting on their first day at work, mm. and they were introduced to people, and they were all funnier than the person. Yeah. Uh, and the person who we're clearly invited to think is the hero of the show demonstrated no funny characteristics or personality flaws whatsoever. Yeah. And that's quite, I think that's a problem. That takes us into something which we can deal with in more detail in the next episode where we start to talk more about stories and, and sto- the, the story and the stories and, you know, is this a sitcom? Are you actually writing a sitcom? So, uh, but we'll, we'll come, come to that. Come to that into the next episode because yes. we are already uh, probably at about uh, the, the limits for most people. Uh, we want to try and quit while we're ahead. Yep. Always leave the audience wanting more. They yep. say, and we, 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 we arrogantly say that you want more, <laughs> uh, but so we're going to stop. So, um, so do, uh, do stand by. We will be announcing the, the winners. Uh, do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook and, uh, on our, and do join us on Patreon. We're going to run a competition where we're going to give away a whole big stack of merch. Um, yeah. Maybe once we reach 100 Patreon subscribers, we can say, right, all Patreon subscribers will now potentially have their names drawn into a hat and we'll be, you know, we could do it. You know, we haven't quite decided we're going to do it yet, but we've got, we've got a ton of stuff to give away. Yeah. So that's all to come, but do join us on Patreon. Please do. And um, you will then hear loads of extra audio episodes that are going up straight away. Um, we're, you know, we're interviewing people. We've got some great interviews coming up and you'll get them the moment we record them. Um, and you will be able to steal a march on that BBC mm. Writers Room window as well. One other thing to mention is is that actually, if you do join Patreon, you can listen to us uh, trying to create our own sitcom, and it's called uh, at the moment it's called Soup to Nuts. Um, that's the process rather yeah. than the sitcom. Um, we have been talking for around about seven or eight hours around the the, the idea. We've 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 written a kind of storyline. We've got characters in our head, but we haven't yet written a word. And I think that's uh, the, the, if if you want to understand more about the process of well, you know, yeah, I've got a great idea. That's yeah. great. We all have great ideas. Now what? Well, how are we going to make this idea different? Yeah. And you know, we've sat here and we've talked around it and we've gone round in circles yeah. and we've gone up dead ends and we've we've you know but and then we've thought oh this is a fantastic and we've gone down that route and no that hasn't worked you do that that yeah. that is the boring frustrating yeah. 
but ultimately uh, necessary work that you need to yeah. do to get to your sitcom point. Yeah. And the idea has, uh, as it's evolved, has said something about, you know, we've really tried to address the why this, why now, and why us. Yeah. Because it's sort of set in a town that's a bit like the town that I currently now live in, mm-hmm. uh, that used to have an industry in one particular area. And then, at ha- and then quite towards the end, you sort of realised, oh, my family had a business like this. Yeah. <laughs> this is my story. Hang on. Yeah. Um, and so, but it takes a lot of effort before you commit to writing any dialogue or even working out exactly who the show is about, maybe. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that will give you an insight into how you need to sort of incubate these things uh, rather than rushing in. And which is easier said than done, especially if you've got a busy day job and kids and all that kind of stuff. So we, we fully understand that. Yeah. But anyway, stand by for the next episode where we will have more reflections on the the batch of 60-odd scripts, which I think hopefully will be a bit more forensic um, in, in a general way. We're not going to pick out individual scripts or anything, but we've got quite a lot more to talk about. So... Thank you. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. Bye-bye. Bye.